Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the 88th episode of Cotton Growers Cotton Companion Podcast. Cotton's annual meeting season is starting to kick off now that the uh, Beltwide Cotton Conferences are behind us. We have cotton prices that are still holding in that 80 cent range, and we've got some good winter uh, moisture keeps falling across the cotton belt. So people are feeling a little optimistic at this point. We're going to talk about some of those topics today in a little more detail. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower. As always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. What's new, Frank? Oh, not much. Just already getting well into 2021 here. I can't believe we're almost turning the calendar uh, to February, uh, off to a busy start. Uh, even if it is still virtual, we're hitting the meetings and have a lot of things to talk about. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, we've got several things we want to cover in, in today's edition. And since we're still in the early stages of the new year, we thought it was time to bring in one of our favorite experts, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, to share his unique perspectives on what's happening in the market, where he thinks cotton acres may end up for 2021, and, and just anything else that may cross his mind. Uh, we hope you'll stay tuned for another lively visit with him here shortly. But before we move on, let's take a moment for a short message from our sponsor, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Thanks as always to the folks at Phytogen for supporting the Cotton Companion. And now we're going to turn things over to our colleague, Robin Sitberg, for a part two of her custom content interview with Dr. Joel Faircloth, Phytogen U.S. Cotton Portfolio Manager. Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. I'm talking again today with Dr. Joel Faircloth, Phytogen U.S. Cotton Portfolio Manager. Welcome back to the program, Joel. Thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me. I know in the last episode, we talked about three brand new Phytogen varieties for 2021. And for today's segment, I'd like to ask you about some other uh, varieties for 2021. But before we go into that, can you just tell us briefly what makes the portfolio of Phytogen cottonseed unique? Sure. So when, when growers think about Phytogen, I think number one, they think about uh, high yield and germplasm, but then they think about yield protection and consistent yields, consistent high yielding. We, uh, we spend a lot of time evaluating products. So when they, we commercialize them, they're not only the highest yielding varieties, but they're also stable varieties. And we can count on that high yield from year in to year out. And, and it's stabilized by breeding traits like bacterial blight resistance, root knot nematode resistance, verticillium wilt tolerance, and, and now reniform resistance, which I mentioned on the last show. Okay, now I'd like to ask you if you could talk about some specific varieties, because I know there's a lot. Sure. So I'll start out with the Phytogen 200, and we line our varieties up by number. So 200 is going to be the earliest that we offer. 210 and 250, for example, those are products in that market. That's primarily Southwest Plains market where storm tolerance and invert tolerance are very important. Then we have the 300 series, which fits across the belt, early to mid-maturing. Good example of one of those products is very broadly fit in that category is Phytogen 350. Stands out on a lot of acres. If we move on to the 400 series, that's going to be our mid-maturing series. Again, due to its category, very broadly fit. Um, and I'll bring up Phytogen 400. It's been an exceptional yielder. And I think it's also a really good example of, of these yield protection traits, the phytogen breeding traits. It offers root knot nematode resistance and bacterial blight resistance. So not only is it performing 
well in certain trials. It performs well across trials because its yield is protected and it takes care of some of the things that could traditionally reduce yields in cotton. Lastly, Phytogen 500 series. This is our mid-fall to full season varieties. We offer 500, 545, and 580. The primary market for this is the lower southeast in the U.S., although we have folks in the South Delta and Southern Southwest that do prefer five series as well. Well, it sounds like Phytogen's got a variety for about every situation. Yes, we're very proud and happy to be able to offer growers uh, a number of varieties now that they can make selections from and, uh, and find out what fits their whole farm very well. And I know growers can always go to phytogen.com for more information about how to find a variety that fits in with their situation. So thank you so much, Joel, for being on the program. And um, I hope you come back soon. Thank you. Well, as always, thanks to both Robin and Joel for that segment. As I mentioned in our opening, meeting season in cotton is kicking off in a big way, uh, obviously primarily through virtual technology. And with a new dicamba label in hand, the state extension services are already gearing up for the required oxen training that growers are going to need to com complete prior to the uh, planting season. All those details and dates for those meetings can be found online on each state's Extension Cotton website. But there are also some other training and information sessions that growers need to consider. Frank, uh, can you fill us in on some of those? Sure. Uh, Corteva AgriSciences has developed there a step ahead webinar series of educational and training sessions for the Enlist Weed Control System in the 2021 growing season. These webinars will be led by Enlist Field Specialists and will feature application training sessions and a new six-part monthly series. The hour-long application training webinar covers how to achieve effective weed control in, a, in Enlist cotton and in Enlist E3 soybeans. The sessions will be held five times during the coming months beginning on January 27th. You can find all the dates, times, and topics, as well as registration information for all the sessions at Enlist.com's website. And there's more online. The Soil Health Institute is holding eight online discussions with U.S. cotton farmers and soil health experts as part of its Healthy Soils for Sustainable Cotton Project. These farmer showcase events will be live streamed beginning February 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and will run every Tuesday through March. Each session will highlight ongoing soil health efforts in a different state or related topic. It all begins with a spotlight on Mississippi, followed by Texas, Arkansas, California, Georgia, the Carolinas, and Virginia. The final session in March will focus on regenerative agriculture. Registration is free, but is required to participate. You can find the registration information at the Soil Health Institute's website at soilhealthinstitute.org. And that's all the news for now. So now as promised, we're getting off to a pretty decent start to the cotton year regarding prices and, and some other positive factors. But we wanted to get a broader overview for all of us regarding what's happening, why it's happening, and what growers need to know and do to take advantage of some opportunities that may be there right now. To join in this discussion, we welcome our friend, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Ag Economics at Mississippi State University. Welcome him back into our virtual Cotton Companion Studio. O.A., Happy New Year. 
and welcome back. Happy New Year to y'all, and it's great to be with you. Thank you so very much. All right. Well, let's step back a minute to sort of the, the those waning days of 2020, uh, where cotton prices started a steady climb uh, back up into the 70 cent range, and, and bless their heart, they just haven't looked back at this point. What kind of factors, fundamentals or otherwise, are, are keep pushing these prices ahead? And maybe more importantly, what do growers need to do right now to take advantage of this market? A great question. It's uh, I think the fundamentals that we were seeing in, uh, say, uh, October and certainly September suggested that the market was going to drop back down to the high 60s or uh, have difficult holding on to the low 70s at, at best. But what we began to see were some exceptional export sales. And then we began to see at the same time that the U.S. crop was not going to be as large as we thought it would. I don't know, hadn't gotten into it, don't need to now, but USDA for whatever reason was a little slow in getting the size of the crop. And most of the traders were trading based on USDA information, but the market just kept going higher. So I think the merchants realized that the crop was not where USDA said it was. And so as, as a consequence, the uh, particularly the Chinese buying, but also some Pakistani buying, uh, Turkey buying, pushed this market higher than we thought is it was that was even possible to go. But as a consequence, the Chinese buying continued and it just, uh, we sold them over $2 billion worth of, crop, worth of cotton over a 12 month period. And then this just ballooned the market. And then the other market participants began to, began to realize that not only were world stocks declining, but US stocks were declining. The crop was substantially lower than where the USDA was initially calling it. And it's probably even lower than where USDA has it now in January. Uh, probably March, well, now I'll say the word, the magic word, substantially lower than where USDA has it right now. So uh, it, it's, it's continued to push this market to 80 cents. And of course, old crop has been higher than 83 cents. The, the new crop has just 60 points or so off of 80 cents. So it's been a very strong market. Exports continue, uh, but uh, we, we've got to think that that pipeline is getting full. But it's it's been a demand-based market, and those are the markets that we like. We don't like a short crop market to, as far as longevity and good prices, but we had one. We'll take the boost we got. It's good to see world consumption, world stocks come down. It's good to see U.S. stocks come down. Good deal. Uh, you know, one thing with the competition from other crops, is that going to play into some planting decisions uh, going into uh, next year? Uh, actually, yes. The intercrop acreage uh, uh, situation is going to take acreage from cotton. I initially thought it would take maybe two million acres, but I'm not. Uh, that's not going to be right. Uh, even as late as uh, three months, or excuse me, uh, three weeks ago, I thought cotton well, might have a chance to be over 12 million acres. But I think no, we better settle back down to somewhere in the area of the uh, cotton grower estimate up to about 11.9 million bales. We might could squeeze 12 million if in fact December cotton futures can get on up above 80 cents between now and the end of February. And certainly we just a penny less than that today, roughly. So yes, that can be done, but we're be, as, as good as consumption is relative to where we thought it would be, the market may be starting to stumble just a little bit. I know, and we're going to 
go back to the acreage number for just a minute because I know our number was like 11.6. At that point, whenever we did that, uh, our survey, of course, it was right after harvest and the market was just still sitting in the 60 cent range and didn't look like it was going to move too much. Uh, I know the council has their, uh, is wrapping up their survey. They're going to be announcing that here in a few weeks. And you say you've, you, you thought higher, now you're coming back a little bit lower. What's a, what's a grower to think at this point in terms of, of what he should and shouldn't be doing? Well, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, 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 yes, a, a grower is certainly challenged. Of course, the grower has the, has the, the, uh, the, the opportunity or has the luxury of looking at soybean prices that are in the teens. They're looking at corn that's $5, grain sorghum for the West Texas folks and Oklahoma folks is just out of sight. Uh, those growers, Oklahoma and Texas, that plant wheat and uh, maybe graze it out later on. Uh, wheat prices are such, no way they're going to graze that wheat. No way that it might get cut, planted to cotton later. It's going to stay in wheat with prices well above $6 a bushel. So uh, a grower does have that luxury to fall back on and look and see that he has a number of alternatives. Uh, the, as to the, the grower situation vis-a-vis -vis cotton, uh, he's seen the market come back very strong, and that's why I think we might compress maybe 12 million acres in the planting area, 11.9. Uh, uh, I don't see it going above 12. I think that would be gravy, but 11.8 to 12, I think we can do, and I would say today we will do. Of course, the grower will continue to watch soybeans, Grains are easier to handle than cotton. Cotton is much more of a, a hands-on, a much more management-oriented crop. So once they see a good profit in grains, they, they like that idea. But always in the back of their mind is that understanding that cotton can give you not only the home run, but the grand slam home run. Now, folks in West Texas are concerned about weather. They're concerned about drought. They look at the long range weather forecasters suggesting it's gonna be a bit dry to them, for them. So consequently, they, they tend to wanna to hang on to this grain sorghum idea because it is, it's, it's so profitable right now for them if they end up doing that. If they do, I would certainly say they need to lock in prices. In fact, soybeans, grain, corn, wheat, whatever, they need to lock in some prices at these levels. We just historically don't see prices at these levels very long. Uh, so, the, the, but I would just simply say the cotton has, has, has been such a, a, a luxury crop with respect to its ability to produce and produce more than you think it will. And of course, being biased toward cotton, I think there's an excellent future there. Of course, the seed companies have given us varieties across the board that are just outstanding. Uh, but again, I guess for the Texas, West Texas grower and parts of Oklahoma, they're concerned about the drought they're, or the lack of will the moisture be available. Uh, again, I guess the most, the, to me, uh, my area of work, the most significant thing I would tell growers is look, look at these prices, as I said, they're not here on a historical basis very long at all. So you probably, regardless of what you're going to plant, you need to uh, you need to take advantage. I've always said, if you like the uh, price, if, if the price is high enough to plant more, then like the price enough to sell some forward contracts on. Mm -hmm. That's true. Well, and, and, and looking back at West Texas, you know, uh, I've talked to a couple of folks out there, obviously here in the, in the, since, since the new year, and they're certainly feeling a little bit better about their moisture situation. It's amazing what eight to 10 inches of snow and, and then, uh, you know, a few, 
a few good steady rains after that will will do to your psyche on it at least. Right, you're right. They they have had some better moisture, and that's uh, you know they get another rain. I think that's you know we might. You know, I'm I'm not thinking twelve point two, but we might could push it up there. I'm not counting on that, but uh, uh, the more rain they get, or the more fr the frequency increase, the frequency or the volume, they'll get pretty excited. Yeah, you could just figure out some way to to slow the winds down to keep drying things, to stop drying <laughs> right. things out a little bit. I'm sure they would appreciate right, that. Right, that could be that could be another legacy for you in this market. <laughs> well, speaking speaking of legacies. Uh, the recent virtual Beltwide conferences, uh, you presented the uh, 2020 Joseph J. O'Neill Cotton Marketer of the Year Award uh, to Barry Evans, Crest, Texas. Uh, and I visited with Barry following the announcement. And obviously, as well as you know, he did a remarkable job of marketing his way through what was a pretty tough year out in West Texas. Uh, but I wanna talk about Joe O'Neill for, for a few minutes. He was a good friend of yours. And I think I had, I had the pleasure of meeting him once in uh, in some of these uh, these marketing seminars that you you that you used to do, uh, and I know he felt very strongly about cotton marketing and and certainly about this award, which is now uh, named in his in his memory. Tell us about Joe and and what he meant to this market and what he meant to you personally. Well, Joe was an excellent friend to everyone, and particularly if you were in the cotton industry, he was your friend, and I uh, will say that with a capital F. Joe always had a smile for everyone. He had a smile for every day and every occasion. Uh, in a sense, he was my mentor. Uh, I was lucky along with Carl Anderson, the late Carl Anderson at Texas A&M. Joe brought, took me up to New York. Uh, I stayed about six months and he wanted uh, to make sure that cotton growers understood the option market. And so he chose to work with a couple of extension professionals, myself, uh, and Carl Anderson, he, he, he moved me to Washington for six months. Uh, uh, he then turned around at the end of that period and put Carl on the board of directors of the New York Cotton Exchange to ensure that we were, uh, that we understood the market and more specifically that we understood options because he felt like options were the savior to the cotton grower. And, uh, and we did that and uh, it led to many more things. He became a friend for a long time. Uh, uh, he brought me to the cotton board for several years later on. Uh, but again, the thing I, as I think of Joe initially, I just see a great big smile. Joe's uh, was, a, was a, a, a Bronx boy, New York all the way. And if you ever live there or associate there, uh, Joe was an Irish Catholic and that has deep, deep meaning. Of course, coming out of Mississippi at the time, I had no idea what that was or if it was anything. But uh, Joe didn't brag about a single thing. He would occasionally, the, the most braggadocious I would ever see him was uh, annually, he was on the top 50 men of Wall Street, top 100 men. And he wouldn't say anything about it, but occasionally he would say, uh, look at this picture, this new picture here. <laughs> and if you read the byline, you'd see that he was one of the top 50. But uh, the greatest story to me, well, he, he went across the cotton belt. He, Oklahoma, California, Tennessee, Missouri, Louisiana, South Carolina, I mean, the entire belt speaking to grower meetings. He blessed me so many times at grower meetings in the deep south, in the mid south, in the southeastern states, uh, whether it be southern, southeastern, generous conferences or whatever. But uh, the first time he came to Greenwood, he flew into Jackson, rented a car, drove to Greenwood. 
uh, got, got in 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, something like that. He was hungry. Uh, bless his heart, he was always hungry, like a lot of us. But he saw this McDonald's and said, ah, cheeseburger and a Coke. I got to have it. So he got, uh, actually wasn't that big of a Coke drinker. He was more of milk. So cheeseburger and milk. So he pulls through the line, he says, and he, he orders uh, through, the, through the drive-through, he orders a, a cheeseburger and milk. Uh, and they ask him again what he ordered. Uh, and he says, cheeseburger and milk. <laughs> so again, now he had uh, to, to probably the New York folks, he didn't have that Irish brogue, but certainly to the untrained Mississippi here in the Delta at the time. Uh, well, uh, we, he got to his room. He had a, a fish sandwich with cheese and a, a glass of orange juice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, it's all, I always laughed at him. I said, you're not telling the truth. And he swore it to be the truth. And he would tell the truth. I mean, he, he, was a, he was a gentleman's gentleman. He was dedicated, totally dedicated to two things, in my opinion, his family and the New York Cotton Exchange. And to the extent of the New York Cotton Exchange, it was the integrity of the Cotton Exchange. He wanted to maintain and make sure everybody understood that it was a very honest, open business organization, but the integrity stood above everything. And the only time you'd see him a little upset and he, most people didn't know it, didn't understand it, was if someone was challenging the integrity of the cotton exchange, if traders were cheating or unfair or something like that. And the, the very rare occasion that somebody might do that, he would be the first one to want his local people uh, to, to be punished or to, to own up to it and make amends for anything. So just a great person. And again, I can't emphasize a family person, his daughters, his son, his, his wife. Uh, the, the, the late Joe O'Neill was one of those very, very few people. And at the absolute very top of my list is the best person in the world. Uh, so, but, and he taught me everything <laughs> except the bad things I do. <laughs> Joe was an excellent guy. And if I can just ramble a minute, uh, I mentioned demand. Don't want to get this by, forget this. You know, the cotton demand has really skyrocketed. If you would look at on year to, to year comparisons, cotton demand is not that great. But if we look at what we anticipated coming out of COVID, uh, cotton demand is probably even four to six percent below where we thought it above where we thought it would be. It's just in a sense boomed, and uh, the Chinese market uh, people uh, indicated that the Chinese market would see less consumption in Vietnam and Turkey. Well, we may see less, but uh, because China needs so much yarn, we're seeing now that these other countries spinning yarn, buying U.S. cotton, spinning yarn, shipping it to China. That market's there. It's going to be there. It's going to be there another year, uh, in my opinion. But again, we're sitting at 80 cents. Uh, it's... Uh, it, I'm getting a little bit nervous. My outlook suggested that I would sell 10% of new crop at 75 cents, 10% of new crop at 77 cents, and I'll sell another 30% of new crop at 80 cents. So 50% sold at 80 cents, stair-stepping from 75 to 77 to 80. Uh, we have not touched 80 cents yet, but 20% of mine has been sold based on those two initial calls. I'm beginning to get nervous as to whether or not we're gonna to truly touch 80. 
what we're seeing now is three out of every four traders are bullish December cotton. Uh, that's getting a little top heavy. Now, it's not unusual to see four out of 10 traders uh, get, uh, get uh, bullish on cotton before the market sets back a little bit. But at three out of 10, you certainly should say we're nervous. We also see that in the May uh, contract, uh, the commitment of traders, uh, the on-call sales, that's mills that have bought cotton but not fixed, uh, that's getting, uh, a, there, there, there's an awful lot of long future, excuse me, there's an awful lot of prices that have to be fixed. That means the mills have to come in and buy cotton futures to fix those prices. So there's a lot of buying, triple the amount of buying to fix those, but they can also roll those to other months and it, uh, uh, it's, we can't look at that and say the market is going on, going up on that basis, but it's positive. It's positive that three out of 10 think it's, it's going to go higher. But again, it, at four out of 10, I'm, I'm very nervous. So we'll just go, we'll have to watch this. We'll have to watch the grains market. Cotton is influenced by grains. Grain cotton influences grains as well. The market, we probably tended to see more correlation with the uh, New York Stock Exchange with the Dow Jones than we typically do. And the overall economy, there's so much money being pumped into the economy. The idea is that the market doesn't care about fundamentals. It's looking at all this cash that's out there. Specs are still very excited about cotton, uh, but are they beginning to back off? The textile mills themselves have just about bought all that they will need for the next two to three months. So that says our demand may not be as strong as it's, it's been. Uh, so that's why I'm just getting a little nervous. Will we get 83 cents on, uh, excuse me, will we get 80 cents on, 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 uh, on, on new crop? We did touch 83 cents on old crop. So I'm 50% sold on old crop. Uh, I would say do not let old crop go below 80 cents without pricing a substantial amount. Uh, do not let that happen. Do not let uh, uh, new crop go below 77 cents without adding to your pricing. Uh, forget my 80 cents. If it looks like we're headed down, do some more at 77 cents. Uh, that's, uh, I, 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 I continue to think we will continue to see world carryover and U.S. carryover a bit lower. We'll plant more, less cotton this year than last, but we will produce more on any sort of a, anything similar to a normal or typical yield. So U.S. stocks can increase, but world stocks will come down in the following season. Okay. That's great. That's that's good advice for uh, for all you listeners out there. You know what to do now. There's no reason why all of you can't be competing for uh, marketer of the year next year with, with that level of advice. So with that, I think we probably need to draw this discussion to a close and, and let you get back to your business of cotton OA. Uh, Thanks so much again for joining us. We're all going to keep our fingers crossed. These uh, positive trends hang on and continue at least for a while. Thank you. Thank Cotton Grower. It's very vital to the industry. Thank you. We appreciate that. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. As always, our thanks to you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. And here is Miss Diane to tell you how to do it. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, 
subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The January issue of Cotton Grower, which features our acreage survey and a profile of Ronnie Lee, our 2020 Cotton Achievement Award winner, should be in your hands right now. Our February issue is currently on press, so be watching your mailboxes for that issue coming soon. This podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues back at World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, his name's Frank Giles, and we'll be back with you in two weeks with another episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, happy planning and stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. Whoa.